welcome to Hort Culture, where a group of extension professionals and plant people talk about the business, production, and joy of planting seeds and helping them grow. Join us as we explore the culture of horticulture. Well, hey, everybody. We've uh, we've been chatting, actually, before hitting record. <laughs> I think what we've come, come to the conclusion is that we are all emotionally winterizing. And so we yes. should maybe, this is a good time to talk about not only, um, you know, how to winterize your tools and make sure your tractor is going to make it through so that in the spring when you need it, it's not a putt putt sound when you turn the key, uh, but also, you know, a little bit of a little bit of emotional, right? We're getting into our feels <laughs> today. It makes me very uncomfortable, but um, that's okay. <laughs> so just talking about, you know, do, what we need to be doing, thinking about so that we're not behind uh, when spring gets here because there's literally nothing worse than when you're trying to use the weed eater and it won't work because you did not put fuel stabilizer in it and then you have to go get like replace all the stuff replace all the filters and sure. all you want to do is weed eat that fence row <laughs> you know i was excited about not having almost no ga- i have one gas engine left and it's in my big garden tiller everything else has a battery and i'm like yes this is going to be so much easier but you know then i read this article about winterizing electric like all the electric gadgets that you have and all the power tools uh-huh. that are electric based battery based, because you have to kind of tend those batteries during the mm-hmm. wintertime and keep them to a certain percentage. And if it's like lithium ion, you're not supposed right. to let it freeze. So there is still winterizing. Yeah. I was distraught to find that you even have to kind of winterize and manage like even your battery based tools right. over the winter. Now gasoline engines. Yeah. Just like you said, we know there's some maintenance to do there and I'm sure we'll get into that here in just a little bit but yeah i found out that even with your battery based tools you need to manage primarily the batteries and guess what my mower didn't think about it i was very proud of my new you know electric mower it does a good job on my lawn but you know it still has a blade and if it has a blade it has to be sharpened so yeah, <laughs> even those tools that are maintenance free have some maintenance to them surprise surprise am i battery-based chainsaw has a very dull chain right now so yes even those things take a little maintenance i carry the batteries around under my armpits all winter (laughs) yeah you kind of keep them warm like a mama just charge them i haven't hatched yet but i do feel a sense of (laughs) relaxation when i get into that i I have a question for you all what is something that like you do in the winter and it can be something as like i'll give you my mine as an example which are like my winter things the one thing i do every winter is i i pick a spot hopefully multiple but at least one to organize like i just get everything back in order Mm-hmm. You know, I buy the shelving I need, all of the things I said during the year. I was like, I really need a, a shelf for this, or I really need to figure out a different way to store this or something. So I like have a spot in the winter, I clean it out, get it ready. And the other thing I do is I get conditioner on all of my leather, like my boots, my belts, my all, oh, all my yeah, stuff yeah. like that. So like I do a conditioning, try to get it done before like the first big snow when I need to wear stuff like that. But I wear them all summer and they are crap by the end of the season and so i like <laughs> soap everything up like those are kind of like my what did we call that nesting those are my yeah. winter nesting like where, joys where is that organi- where is that organizing happening is that at like a like a, in your house or like in oh <laughs> okay no <laughs> my barn the studio okay. maybe the greenhouse even even Your the high space. tunnel like my workspace work yeah workspace, yeah my yeah. i make it 
functional, uh, hopefully, and clean it out and just do a deep dive into it like that. As much as I kind of dread starting it, I don't know, like some projects, you know, you dread starting, then as soon as you start, it's like you can't stop. You need to finish it like in a weekend. That's me. And, uh, and I just love to like sit and watch Christmas movies and leather, like soap up and condition (laughs) all my leather things. Like it's my favorite. (laughs) Christmas movies like Die Hard or like Hallmark? Traditional I, Christmas movies like Die Hard, I love that. Um, <laughs> I'm more of like a Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer kind of gal. Live, live um, soft, if you will. Yes, <laughs> I read more in the wintertime, and I don't know. It's not necessarily constructive reading or reading about horticulture topics, but just read more in general. I think I listened. Mm-hmm. I mean, even more audiobooks. I can do that anytime, but I don't know why I do that more in the wintertime. I guess there's not as much daylight to go outside and play. I don't know. Maybe. Some of the reading is constructive and informative, but mostly, you know, fiction, uh, off sword fighting somewhere on some coast in a forbidden land. But lots of reading, (laughs) more stuff like that. And yeah, the nesting thing is interesting. I typically do any kind of organizing in the garage or whatnot. I do a lot more of that in the wintertime. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do that too. Definitely a lot of like organizing and trying to, reevaluate what I use spaces Mm -hmm. for and try to, you know, because you get that sort of break. Mm -hmm. Basically you're kind of stuck inside. It's so much Mm -hmm. more pleasant to be inside or you come up with excuses to not have to go outside. Well, Mm -hmm. I'll be organizing this in the warm today. I guess some of our Southern listeners may be like, no, we don't go below 70 in the winter time. And (laughs) then I will be, I'll reply with I'm jealous. Well, and you know, then in the summertime when it's too hot to go outside, you can do these things. (laughs) It's more organizing. (laughs) But I don't know. It just seems like a, what about you, Brett? Yeah. All these things. Well, I, I actually, <clears throat> I I grill much more in the winter time than I probably even do in the summertime. Mm. Uh, nice and and like use this the uh, I do it's a smoke it's a Weber kettle but I you know smoke stuff on it and um, I'd say that's one big thing. I definitely read more. I think I I do have some organizational tendencies during those times, but it, it is in more inside my house. I would say, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's most. I mean, I think um, I, I enjoy like sh- like sharpening tools and like uh, mm-hmm. cleaning them off mm-hmm. and kind of putting a little coat of oil on sort them. Of something relaxing about sharpening tools. I mean, mm-hmm. I've always thought so. Is that weird? Is that a strange thing? I love no, sharpening tools. No. Love it. Love it. I feel really cool later. to do it too. Like I just like putting an edge on it. You rub that yeah. finger along the edge, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I, you know, good stuff. Yeah. And not to get into the weeds on sharpening, Brett, but what are we talking about here? Are we talking about a flat file or more like a tungsten uh, sharpener? What are we talking about? What are we sharpening? Well, Ray, I got the whole, I got the gamut, you know. I thought that you would have some cool stuff. That's why <laughs> I asked. Surprised. I knew you would have some cool stuff, so I don't hear about it. Yeah, so for, uh, I, ha- I have a, just a flat um, bastard cut file that I use for things like uh, hose and... Um, shovels and stuff like that mm-hmm. and then i also have uh i have different i actually literally really like water stones for oh, a lot yeah. of sharpening um, uh, so so these are these are like a little bit higher grit come out of like japanese traditions but i would say or have have thoroughly uh globalized and so i use those for things like chisels and scissors and knives and um, that kind of stuff. I have some bonsai tools, of course. So I try to keep those mm-hmm. sharp as well, uh, using 
yeah, some some relatively uh, high grit things. And then I, I do have some in between, but I tend to use the higher grit for a lot of it and try to keep stuff sharp in the first um, place. Some of those tools I'm sure are really nice. Do you, are you one of those that um, tries to put something like a lightweight gear oil or lightweight oil on your tools in the wintertime? I mean, some of those tools I'm, I'm guessing, you know, may have some value to you. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> well, and the, kind of oil those up. A lot of the, a lot of the Japanese tools that I have are mm-hmm. carbon steel as well. Mm-hmm. So they, mm-hmm. they kind of yeah, they inherently need, some sort of lubrication, but yeah, I find in general, I don't know. I, I find, I find a really high level of satisfaction from uh, well-functioning, sharp, uh, mm-hmm. ready to go tool. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely I use, yeah, just a, whatever kind of oil is available. I, I actually, yeah. back when I was trying to get a little woodworking business off the ground, I bought a gallon of mineral oil mm-hmm. for cutting so board. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I have, you know, about, nine tenths of a gallon of mineral oil left. <laughs> most of it left <laughs> uh, so yeah i have i use that or i use um yeah just a variety of their you guys oil. like the the wood portion of these tools because some of these tools i had still have garden hose from gosh from my grandparents and i, I actually treat those do you guys do that with any of your uh, the wooden portions of these tools like a good linseed on there to keep them from cracking keep them in good shape I've just now started to get some high quality tools, so mm-hmm. that is good to know. <laughs> Consider that. Look it up. Linseed is your friend. I, my dad gave me all of uh, the old, he moved into uh, like a duplex from the farm. Mm-hmm. And so I got all the shovels and all that stuff I grew cool. up with that I'm sure he took care of. That's but then awesome. I broke one the other day. Yeah. So, um, I need a nice. job. I just freaking snapped that handle right off. I was like, broke oh, it right oh. over your knee. <laughs> and that's kind of a lost art too. Is and my father was so good at making handles for things. You know, now usually when and and if you got that from your family, Alexis, I'm sure you're going to try to rehandle that. You're going to try to put a well, handle back into that, aren't you? Yeah, it's the we we just pulled out the bad part and stuck because it was already a short shovel, so now it's just gotcha, a little gotcha. bit shorter, which is fine for me. And it's, 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 a, you have to go to a little bit of extra effort now, I've noticed, to find a good high quality mm-hmm. handle for tools, um, you know, whatever it be, whether it's post hole diggers or digging matic or whatever. But there, there's something really nice about uh, the wooden portion of these tools I've always loved. And my father met, used to make a lot of his own handles for things and uh, like right. specific curvatures and, and uh, it was out of necessity. Like I watched him the first time ever. We had like a five foot pl- layoff plow that we he plowed with a mule, and it had a handle that broke in that. And I watched him kind of match up out of a chunk of hickory, match up to the existing handle, and make that and crank that out in a couple of hours. And I don't know why I'm so mystified by that, mm. but you know he made it himself. Ray, who are you? Was That's this the so 1800s? Yeah, no joke. Like, no, sometimes no, my- I just do not understand <laughs> the timeline that Ray lives in. I'm pretty sure it's a different one than the rest of us. Like, did you hop over in the multiverse from a different Let timeline? Let me tell you this about This is before the- he had was drafted into World War One. Yes, oh, that's right. It. Okay. That's yeah. It. How many no, wars have you been like in now? Sometimes <laughs> I've definitely bridged the gap, but my father, before he would ever let me get on a tractor and, you know, learn about the maintenance and all the, you know, the, 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 
great efficiencies of mechanized pieces of equipment. Before he would ever let me do that, we had to learn to plow with a mule. And he had uh, German trained mules at New Voice Commands, and they were amazing. Cool. And the mule taught me how to plow. And it was in tobacco and cultivated, you know, some vegetable crops and things. But uh, I hated it at the time. But it's some super fond memories of like, you know, when he put the handle on that five foot plow and we had three foot layoff plows or cultivation plows rather. But uh, I remember all of those tools and they were old when I became familiar with them. They were already very, very, very old. Mm. But yeah, I had to learn to plow with the mule before I was ever allowed on the tractor. And I don't know why <laughs> my father was of that mindset, but it was pretty cool now that I look back on it. Well, but. just in case the whole petroleum thing didn't work out, we're good. Right. to go <laughs> back. You have to get a very young mule. You have to train him up. Uh, yeah. And Is, uh, was it a yeah. Pertron, uh, Pertron mule or no, whatever? Black and, black and tan Tennessee. So, oh, okay. No. Well, no, it was not as big as under, under 16 hands. I don't want to drag my feet. I don't Yeah. Know. No, you know, you want, you want something heavy to pull, but yeah, I remember the equipment and, you know, all these old tools and stuff. And he cared for those, you know, he was very deliberate and very careful how he cared for those. And he had had, had them passed down from his father. And there was a couple pieces, the old Sheffield, um, Scythe blades, a Sheffield made in Sheffield, England, but uh, some of those I still have out in the garage and the handles that he made. And if you guys are familiar with those, uh, I guess in the eastern part of the state, we call those scythe blades because we sort of took the term scythe and kind of modified mm. it to our own uses. But I have some of these blades and handles my father made uh, that are, and they're curved and very intricate blades. Uh, but yeah, I still have that. And, and I always have those, but just love those. Those are old tools and they're well cared for. And I bring them out every year and make sure they're in good shape. Thanks. One thing I think with um, linseed oil, just for those who, who may, may want to use it, it, it is in, in my experience, it really likes to be put on very, very thinly, almost like you, you just almost wouldn't feel wet after you put it on and put a mm -hmm. little bit on because it's, it's not ultimately like a polyurethane kind of thing where it's going to mm -hmm. build up in layers and harden. Um, mm -hmm. If you put too much on, it'll just get sticky. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so if you put that on and let it dry, uh, another thing that I, I've picked up that I really like, and it's, you know, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but to take a little after your linseed oil or whatever your if you do it with more of a mineral oil or no finish at all whatever your treatment is uh, after that's dried pretty well maybe even for a couple of weeks take and put a little bit of paste wax mm. on it mm. and work nice. it in with either a three or four aught steel wool and it makes it that makes the surface like feel really nice and kind of like soft, but a little a little bit grippy. Mm. Mm. And it just it's a very pleasant. I do that with a lot of my hand tools. I haven't done it as much with like, uh, sorry, uh, like my woodworking hand tools. Mm. Uh, yeah. I haven't done it as much like with shovels or with that kind of thing. But I don't know why it wouldn't work. But it adds a little bit mm. of protection because uh, all all paste wax is is a little bit of wax and a little bit of solvent. And then the solvent flashes off and leaves behind a little bit of wax, which gives you that protective feel. But nice. yeah, right. I'm going to have to try that. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it, it's, and I know it, what you mean by it conditions yeah. the outer surface of the wood to a certain feel. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's yeah. like real, almost just silky almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like a satin kind of mm -hmm. feel to it. That's so cool. 
How about all the other stuff going on in landscapes now? You know, usually when we think about cooler days and shorter days, we tend to wind down. But what are you guys doing in your own? I know you guys each have things going on. I know we do things and recommend things in our jobs. But what are you guys doing in at your own homesteads or at your own homes and your own operations? Well, what do you guys have going on that you're winterizing your place inside and out? Hmm. Um. We, change my change my air filter, my AC. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, Same. yeah, uh, yeah. That has to be done on your power tools too, Alexis. That nice. Yeah. What is it? What do you have? A Grillo or BCS? I have a I'm Grillo. Sure, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's one of those pieces, mm-hmm. very nice pieces of equipment. When do you normally go through that thing, Andy? And air filters, oil, all that. I go through it when I can no longer use it for anything. So oh. I'm still in flail mower time of year and stuff like that. So probably in the next over in the next month, probably by the end of November, uh, we put stabilizer in it. We do the whole whole shebang, and then in the spring, I'll change the oil and you know lubricate all the parts and pieces and all of that jazz. So it did have an air filter change, so we're good. I took I took it in, and I don't know. Maybe that's something. If you're really good with machinery. You probably can do this, but I can do the basics, but I, it's, it, it's nice for me to take it in once every three to five years to someone who like really knows what they're mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. because they maybe have tools to get in parts or they can make sure I didn't miss anything and just give it like a really good once over. So for, you know, pieces of equipment that you really want to keep and maybe are a little bit expensive, uh, that would be my recommendation because, and it was in great shape. They just, mm. they just changed everything, but it was peace of mind for me to know that I've been doing it right, you know, this whole time that it's still in good shape and I've been taking care of it the way it should be. So that was, that was nice. Um, and it's just kind of nice sometimes to just drop something off and come back and it's, it's ready to go. <laughs> ready to go. Yeah. Some of these things uh, I can do myself, but other things I will not be able to do by myself, especially these larger pieces of equipment. It's good to know kind of your own ability there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was out, uh, what was I doing the other, a couple days ago in the landscape, because the soil was a little softer. It's whenever we had that last rain in Kentucky, we've had extended periods of dry weather here. And I usually wait to the fall when I, we have more adequate moisture and then I re-edge all of my beds. I don't know why, but mm-hmm. it's something I've always done. I re-edge landscape beds. It's just a chore that I do mm-hmm. on the home side of things is I like Smart. to go through and sharpen everything up because in the fall is typically when I mulch everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll check the depth and sometimes I have to remove some of the old mulch because it, you know, gets to build up too much, even though I want fresh mulch, I don't want it to get over three or four inches. So I'm removing mulch and composting that depending on the mulch source. Um, some mulch compost easy, some, some does not like the pine bark <laughs> nuggets that don't break down, but I'm mulching now, removing mulch, putting fresh mulch in, I'm re-edging beds, kind of doing all of that stuff. But, uh, we really here in zone six and seven guys, I, ge- I guess we should not be doing any more pruning. Is that correct? Uh, for most things we should be already done with that. Uh, if we're pruning a lot at this point, I think we run the risk of dehardening plants or causing not dehardening. They're not, you know, they've not uh, kind of shut down for winter yet. A lot of plants, but if you prune now, you may have a response of growth to that prune. Mm-hmm. And then that growth is what it's going to be soft and it's going to go into colder months. And then that runs the likelihood of getting killed back. And then you have even more cleanup pruning to do the following year. 
So most of our pruning should already be done. Mm-hmm. And if you if you haven't done it, just go ahead and wait till February or March. Like it's for most things, that's when you're going to prune. So better to wait it out. Other things I'm doing last week, I dug a bunch of peonies. So split, which we've talked about, you know, previous episodes, but still doing that. And that, you know, you can do until the ground's not frozen, essentially, because they're they're really hardy. And what are, what else? Am I, oh, just like my house plants. So that's something. Oh gosh, I got to get mine fun. in. Yeah. So I've been <laughs> oh. bringing in my house plants yeah. that are further away from like the house um, that uh, or are more tender. Uh, they're not going to take anything, but the ones that are right up like against the brick of a house are still outside, and trying to and trying to acclimate them. Uh, so I just turned on my plant lights inside, just trying to get mm-hmm. everybody acclimated and not too crazy curious uh, here I've your cut- plant lots uh mm-hmm. let's uh, before you kind of move on from that i'm gonna have to do something because i've expanded my collection of outdoor mm-hmm. plants that i've been very happy this year <laughs> that are now indoor huge. plants yeah barbados <laughs> lily is massive so i'm gonna bring that in and the thing's gonna it looks like death every year when i bring it in because it mm-hmm. loves like what kind of plant light uh any particular kind or style or I got, uh, I've kind of had, I've had a bunch of different things. Uh, the ones I like just because of, I tried to display my plants in a better way that like looks nicer in my home versus the, you know, jungle that I normally form. (laughs) So I have like this, uh, tiered stand. And so I really needed lights Mm -hmm. that like could kind of be on this. And I got this one that's like, it clips on to the rack and then it has three separate lights that are on like bendy Oh, gotcha. Yeah, like things? a little goosenecky thing. Yeah, and so I need something that's appropriate for like a big. I have a couple of really big plants that I'm going to have to bring in, mm-hmm. and they need to. I mean, I can put them next to the patio doors, but I need supplemental light for mm-hmm. them to. So yeah, I need These, something and like that. It's got red and blue lights too, and I like has a timer, mm-hmm. so I Wide just spectrum. like yeah. You so do I, use a timer on them. Yeah. It, it has yeah. one on it, gotcha. and I can just click if I want it on a six hour, twelve hour, and it comes on by itself. So. That's been nice for the things that need a little awesome. extra and transitioning. Mm-hmm. Oh, and cutting back on water. So mm-hmm. if you oh, haven't yeah, done that yeah. already, once you're bringing plants in and everybody always goes, well, how much? And I go, well, it depends on the area that you have it in. But for reference, my the plants we have at my office are in and they stay inside uh, and they're in a... I don't want to call it an atrium, but an area where we have kind of some floor to ceiling windows. And so there's a lot of bright light in there and they are bright light plants. And we have cut them back already to only being watered twice a month. And Mm -hmm. I might cut that back again to once a month here once we start losing more light. Uh, And then my my plants at home are, I think, at twice a month now. But again, I might cut that back. Uh, There's some that I water will water a little bit more just because they're located by a heat vent and so they dry out a little bit faster but that's a little, little tip there don't forget stop watering your plants smell you, the soil can you, talk, can you just give the the 101 physiologically mm-hmm. what why what's going on there why is it because uh, you know I, I would think when it's hot and dry it's going to dry the plants out so that's when they need water and when it's cold and wet they don't need as much but you're saying light intensity is a part of that what, what can you give me a yeah, so rem- it's kind of like a reminder and it's like once people are reminded of those basic things, they're like, oh yeah, duh, that makes sense. So plants need light, right, to photosynthesize. And when they use light, they also need water. So the more light they have, the more water they're going to take up because they need both of those things to create food, photosynthesize, right? So when the light goes down, when we have less 
you know, daylight hours, they're going to use up less water because they, they don't have enough light to support that. Fertilizer planted that too, Alexis? Yeah, I don't like to fertilize my plants in the mm-hmm. wintertime uh, just because there's not enough light to support that. And so it just kind of sits there. It gets salty around the roots. Not ideal. Kind of like me in the winter, they, I get salty. <laughs> like me. Uh, unless it's a um, winter blooming plant. So an amaryllis, mm. a Thanksgiving cactus, an Easter cactus. So rule of thumb is whenever that thing is going to put on growth is what you should be supporting it right before it wants to put on growth um, or right before a bloom period or something like that. But, but yeah, so less light means uh, it's not going to use up that water. So you're going to need to water it less. Otherwise uh, the soil will get soggy because the water's not being used. Um, I usually recommend people not put any plants near a heat vent if they can. I know I just said I did, but the plants I have are like more succulent plants. So they like kind of a drier atmosphere, but 90% of your, most people's houseplants are a true tropical. They're from a rainforest environment. They are going to want to be misted a lot more regularly. The humidity is up. You know, when it's really, really cold and we've got that heat cranking every day, all night, uh, we will, I'll put a humidifier on and I'll cluster my plants together uh, to kind of create a little micro environment. And that is gets them through the winter so just a little if you got somebody who's extra special to you in there you might need to put a humidifier on them it almost sounds like when you bring uh, the goldfish home from from the fair wherever you got it from you (laughs) wherever you wherever you got your goldfish no no judgment and you you don't pop it right in the tank you kind of let it get acclimated in the little bag that's kind of what you're talking about it sounds like when Mm -hmm. you're uh, yeah moving your plants we're gonna have to use that i like that Mm-hmm. That's a good yeah. that's a good way to to look at it. But anyways, yeah, house plants and then battening down the hatches on all my on the barn and the greenhouse and the high tunnel and just all of the things I don't want a bunch of cold air and rain getting in. You know, last one of the well, in several of the the previous episodes, but t- particularly the last episode, we talked about planting trees and shrubs. And one thing I guess would be good timing to mention now is one of the biggest problems that I see in the springtime is young tender bark trees and mm. taking care of those after planting, particularly the first two to three years. Trees, maple is a classic good example. Cherries. Is, yeah, the, 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 the frost cracks that you can get on those and protecting the bark. That's very, very important when you fall plant trees, particularly those with thin bark. And if in doubt, just wrap the trunks of those trees beginning late fall and then remove that wrap in the spring and you're going to avoid a tremendous amount of damage, potential damage to that young tree. I've seen so many trees uh, that have this type of damage up and down mm-hmm. the stem of the tree because it was not wrapped. And in the wintertime, when you fall plant those and everything goes dormant, wherever the sun hits that plant, it wakes up or warms up one side of the plant, causes uneven growth because most of the plant is not responding to that warmth, but the one section is uneven growth occurs. And then what ultimately you have happen is a crack and tree wrap prevents that. And I have seen more damage in large commercial landscapes from that issue than any other, any other problem, any other causes. That's interesting, Ray. I've never heard, I didn't, that is not why I thought, which doesn't, I, I mean, it makes sense, thought frost cracks occurred. Mm-hmm. I always had thought it was because the bark 
the the cells are being warmed and then they're cooled rapidly because the sun you know goes away and essentially the water in them busts and that's and, where the and that's a function of that too from my understanding there's okay, actually gotcha. several things going on but yes sense. exactly okay and what you said is a is a great point uh, I was having a discussion with one of our commercial landscapes a couple of days ago and we were talking about the issue with western walls in a commercial landscape mm. and if you have a western facing wall that radiates heat, you would think that would be a good thing in the wintertime, but mm-hmm. so many boxwoods that were planted against westward-facing walls, sun rises in the east and radiates that energy against that western-facing, let's say, a brick wall in mm-hmm. the wintertime, and that that kind of gives off all of that heat to the plants that are close to that wall, well, that causes that differential, that kind of freeze-thaw mm-hmm. cycle or that mm-hmm. growth-stop mm-hmm. cycle. And that in itself will cause damage on boxwoods, <clears throat> just like it will trees. So huh. it's like the same thought. And you can pick out the damage every single time on western facing walls, but it's the same yeah. issue with what you just said with landscape trees, Alexis, with the sun, if you have direct exposure mm-hmm. on trees. Yeah, same concept, biological concept. Yeah. Well, those are supposed to be the, the hard days are like, uh, like I was reading about winter drying mm-hmm. and how you know, you have the clear days where there's lots of sun and it's windy, but the ground is frozen mm-hmm. and the plant, the plant can't pull up any water to keep things tender and things like mm-hmm. that. And it just makes it real hard on the planet. Yeah. We lost you know. a, pretty much all the boxwoods in Boyle County because of that exact thing right there. No humidity and wind and frozen ground. So that mm-hmm. was tough. Right. Mulch. Refer back to the mulch episode. Refer, please. Refer. <laughs> and Ray, you can paint chunks, right? Like if you didn't want to, because like I don't love wrapping. Yeah. Paint works. Yeah. Like it a white, work, white paint. Like a it's white, like you want to yeah. reflect the sun. Yes. You want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And okay. it helps. It does a, a similar like function as wrap. Yeah. And, uh-huh. you know, I used to always wonder that uh, when people would have like, you know, I was, I grew up in a, in an area where that was a very common thing for people to do is whitewash their trees up and down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it became so common that we all forgot why they did it. So they did it when in 30, 40 year old trees, when it was no longer necessary, but it became <laughs> kind of just, just a, a cultural habit. thing that we yeah. did. Yes, yes, cool. exactly. So it was very interesting. And I didn't know till years later, Alexis, that it was because of the reasons that you've mentioned, but yeah, that, that works as well. Tree wrap, whitewash, it, it, it all kind of performs a similar function. Well, one of the, so I, I mentioned before I have some bonsai trees and I also have some other stuff that occasionally needs water through this fall period. Uh, and with as dry as it's been in Kentucky in particular, but I'm always keeping my eye on both the amount of water they need, but I'm also, uh, not trying to have a bust pipe or bust hose bib. Mm. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to keep an eye on that. And, so what I, I have this uh, dubious fall ritual of going out and sort of winterizing my hose and then needing water, hooking it back <laughs> up, using yeah. it, yeah. rewinterizing <laughs> it again. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, for me, the, the main things that I use for that is I have a little uh, adapter thing that screws into the hose it's a, a female or it's a male threaded that f- screws into the, the female end, which is what hooks mm-hmm. onto the hose bib. And it's got a little tire pressure, like a oh, tire, yeah. tire yeah, adapter. Yeah. And so I hook it up to my compressor, which is right there and just blast the water, blast the oh, water wow. out. Cool. 
And so I can, I can unwinterize and rewinterize my hose within about three or four minutes. Fairly quickly. Nice. That's, that's awesome. Good. That's good to know. Cause I use my hoses a lot because of the tunnel. Mm. So yeah, it, it, it's one of those tricky things. The tunnels is a great example. Like mm-hmm. I, I have, mem- I have memories of that where it does get so cold that you have to think about that a little bit. And mm-hmm. in some cases it's leaving things open. In some cases it's trying to close things as far as valves and things mm-hmm. like that. If to give, give the water a place to expand, but also to try to keep water from getting places in the first place. Yeah. Is, it's like a kind of a give and take there, but that, that's a part of this time of year for me now is, uh, and I, I forgot to do it last year, one night when it got cold <laughs> and it busted this, luckily it busted this filter thing out on the far end of my hose rather than anything closer back that would have oh, required, yeah. uh, it just required me to get mad for a minute. It didn't require <laughs> a plumber to come out or anything like that. You silly goose. I'm sure that's what you called yourself. Darn it. Darn it. I'm <laughs> such a silly goose. Oh, fudge. <laughs> but I, I think that's one of the, one of the things I think about with water is just like in an, an agricultural horticultural setting things. So, so that's a PSA first. If you don't, if you have, just left your hoses hooked up to your hose bibs indefinitely in the past. You have gotten lucky to this point. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, try to disconnect. And the hose bib is just the little faucet thing that it comes out the side of, you know, whatever the building is where you turn it off and on. If, you, if that's a jargon from the biz, I'm a bit of a <laughs> <insider. hose bib. laughs> um, But yeah, so disconnecting those. And if you want to blow out the water or, or let, let it drain out, that's uh, from the hose. That's great. Um, but also things like pumps and I now have pumps involved in the pumps have entered the chat for me. Uh, now with my rainwater catchment that we talked about a couple months ago. Transfer pumps. And so, so getting those, uh, disconnected and drained. And in some cases, depending on where you're going to store it, if you're going to store it outside, you may consider using a low toxicity antifreeze inside the pump, uh, in some cases to, Mm -hmm. uh, keep that from freezing up and, or filling up. But, um, there, there will be every pump that you have should have like a winterizing component uh, mm-hmm. or winterizing like, you know, steps or recommendations or whatever. But so things like sprayers, um, whether that be a backpack sprayer or a, a thing on the back of a of a tractor or something somewhere in between, you know, if if there is liquid inside of any of those tiny little mm-hmm. plastic and or metal parts and it freezes, it will expand. And the tiny little plastic and metal pieces will not expand at the same rate <laughs> and will. It does the same thing that a tree's inner and outer woody parts do. <laughs> so they true. expand and contract at, at differentials. Busts. Yes. In they this blow case, open. I would not recommend painting the sprayer. Uh, it no. will not necessarily have the same <laughs> would, effect. Though, if for cultural reasons again. you decide to, that would be fine. <laughs> uh, but I would, I would try to get that, uh, that moisture out and. Uh, now, I know uh, some of you guys, uh, particularly the the metro folks, I, when I go through Lexington, uh, Kentucky, where I'm nearby here in the central part of Kentucky, I see lots of leaves now. How about mm-hmm. dealing with those? Is that part of the winterizing process? I mean, what do people do with all of the leaves? I mean, I know you can, uh, in some cases, I see piles of leaves six feet tall. Oh, and yeah. I'm lucky I don't have that many leaves. I have a place where I can compost my own leaves. But it, can that be an issue, I guess, if you have two feet of leaves on your lawn all the way through the winter? What are people doing that have that many leaves where you guys are at? I definitely and smell people burning them sometimes, but uh, mm. I don't know if I necessarily recommend that in city limits during the drought conditions that we're currently mm, experiencing. Yeah, that's a good point. 
That's a good point. Yeah. We do not, we do not recommend that. <laughs> right. I, I love that. I'm lucky. I have just enough leaves. I have a bunch of leaves, but I like mulching them up and then I'll kind of top dress the garden with those. I have a cover crop going now, so I can't do that. So I'll mulch around the edges and I'll also use those on top of, I have three or four raised bed gardens and mm-hmm. I'll, because raised bed gardens, you can winterize a raised bed garden. That's, that's something totally. you can do. But part of the process of winterizing my raised bed gardens is I will take those leaves and put them on top of those. And then I have plenty of space to compost. So it's kind of in the edge of the woods. I just sort of pile them up and call it a compost pile. It's not really a compost yeah. pile. I haven't used it, but the city will come and pick up a lot of leaves. They'll, they have like certain, you can order bags. Have you used that ever, Brent? Well, they have a, they have a couple of days where they come and run a the vac along the edge, and so all you have to do is vac, yeah. pile up your leaves on the easement between the sidewalk and the road, and they'll suck them up and take them take them all far far away. I have a request. Go on. If you live anywhere close to Central Kentucky, if you live within an hour of Lexington, oh, ish hour and a half. I do, and you have leaves that you want to get rid of. Please yeah. contact me because I want your leaves. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I, I, can, I can have a trailer there in oh. an hour and a half or less, and I will take your leaves. Oh, wow. How do you the use those, Alexis? <laughs> Are you uh, also using that for organic matter, chopping those up? And Yeah, so they're they're great in pathways um, mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, just if you're trying to keep weeds down, they're great for, just like you said, putting the garden to bed, just kind of mulching things that are a little bit more tender. Mm-hmm. And it is it is it is painful for me to see people get rid of their leaves because I'm like, those could be my leaves. I want your leaves. Please send me your leaves. Don't leave me. And yeah, there's a, I'm trying to hook up a thing. uh, The county I'm in center college is in the county that I am extension agent in. And they, of course, you know, safety reasons, I guess, pick up most of their leaves and they store them. They have like big piles of them. And uh, our the city of Danville has a composting program, and every spring for Earth Day, you can come get a you know a load of compost for free or whatever. And so I think that they give their leaves to them, but apparently it's been a hassle. So I've been trying to arrange like a setup where if someone comes with a trailer, they can get like leaves from them because they have the ability, they have a bucket that they can use to put leaves mm-hmm. down on a trailer. And there are plenty of farms in the area who would love to have leaves. Mm. So, yeah, I would I would love to have your leaves. Please call me. Thank so, you. So what I mean, why are why are we pulling up the leaves in the first place? Yeah, that's one of the, the mm. things. I mean, ideally, you would be in a situation where the balance of leaves are, don't overwhelm, let's say, your mulching mower if you're a homeowner. And you could just mulch those. That would be yeah. ideal. You can recycle the nutrients, put it in the soil where it belongs in place. But if your leaves get too deep, they uh, run the potential of matting down and killing the turf that's under there. Um, so that could be an undesirable situation yeah. for a homeowner. <laughs> so yeah, because you know, turf. Yeah, your yeah. turf, your lawn, I use the turf, the word turf sort of mm-hmm. very loosely totally. there. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's also an issue for like, mo- like moss lawns, you know, if or moss, mm-hmm. you know, mossy bread, yeah. areas, like that's yeah. one of the number one ways to No-nos. kill, to kill moss. Uh, if you put, you know, put some of that into your landscape is to let leaves sit on yeah. it over the winter. It's just not good for like cool season fescue like, or turf top fescue that most of our home lawns have. They grow all through the winter not for moss lawns it's just not a desirable situation so if you want to winterize your lawn you want to be very careful about letting leaves pile up in great quantity and then compact down because you're probably going to have some uh, dead spots or thin spots in your lawn and what bread it can just straight up kill 
uh, I guess, moss lawn areas. Yeah, yeah. Just it can cause all of those issues. So you're going to have to kind of address that. That's one of my winterizing things I'm doing. There's a big red maple on a section of my lawn as you go down towards a wooded area. And I have to kind of, it overwhelms my mower. So I sort of have to rake those up and move those away from the area. But because that area is already somewhat shaded. So I don't want to shade it any further in the winter time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, that's one of the things I do. Uh, something else I do that I recommend uh, folks maybe think about is setting their mower down this time of year, beginning mid-October, late October. And, you know, we have some research to back it up. But if you set your mower down just a little bit, it can do a real good uh, kind of a lawn cleanup for you. It can let more sunlight into the crown of those plants. And it can have some other benefits by mowing just a, a little lower this time of year. That's another thing that you can do. Uh, you know, on top of the regular things you're doing this time of year in Kentucky in zone six and seven, like fertilizing, you can just change the mower. Now, I say that, but don't forget to let your mower back up, raise the deck of that mower back up before you start mowing the next year, because you don't want to do that in the summertime. It just causes undue stress, but it's not a bad thing to lower that just a little bit in the wintertime because it can do a good cleanup on the lawn for you. So that's another winterizing technique we used to do. I've seen, yes, like obviously you don't want to smother your lawn, but I've seen a lot more things on social media of people saying not even to mulch your leaves because of that. It's a, you know, it's a home for a lot of the insects that are overwintering. And I feel like there has to be just for people who are going, no, you're not supposed to chop your leaves up. Number one, don't get rid of your leaves, period. Unless they're giving them to me because you have to. (laughs) (laughs) And then what we're saying here is like in the circumstance that's, I don't think everybody is in. I think very few people have enough leaves and certainly not most people, not the whole lawn, that they're going to be so thick that they're going to smother the grass underneath. So in that case, you can leave them. You don't need to chop them up. They are good for, you know, insects to have an overwintering site or just create those like other habitats. If you can rake Mm. that into your garden bed, right? You're not, the perennials are not going to be upset about that. And you can put those homes somewhere if you're, if you're concerned or if you're one of those people who just don't like to have piles of leaves, you know, if you can create there, there's, I don't know. I think that we're in this kind of I go back and forth with this whole like idea of like we took over this land and like we need to do mm. something to give back, but then it's like, but we also do live here now. So like how do we work? How right, do we right. how well, do yeah, we it's like these built environments and yeah. these places? Yeah. It's like we you want to choose what you want the land to reflect or do for mm-hmm. you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so if you're trying to create habitat for native insects and native plants, then go that way. If you're trying to have a lawn that looks pretty and that is a place for people to walk around and enjoy and play with and protect the lawn. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's about choosing what you want the land to do And I think there's ability you. to have like both a little bit, you know, like don't, yeah. you don't have yeah. to feel, if you're a lawn person, I, I, I don't understand you, but I respect your choices. <laughs> um, and I, I say that in a joking way, cause I know everybody has their thing. I just, I, I hate mowing my lawn, so whatever. Ray just hung up. He left. I did. Notice I use the word turf, Alexis. Turf. Come on. That, in, that implies a certain and amount you, of beautiful uniformity. Well, but I think, like, you're, Ray, you're a perfect example of someone who, you know, will still take those leaves. You may, Maybe you're putting them in a compost. Maybe you're putting them in your landscape beds. You're still creating a home for some of those, like, native insects. Mm-hmm. Like, you have care there, but you're making it work for you in a way. And yeah. so – 
you know, I, I don't want to kill off all my, all my hellebores. So I'm going to make sure that the leaves are pulled back from there. But, you know, I don't care if it kills my lawn, whatever, you know, so (laughs) an interesting article, it said, don't, uh, you know, because part of my winterizing is if you have herbaceous perennials that you need to cut back, I mean, like a mum that you've naturalized and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, plants like that, I'm beginning to rethink when I cut those back and winterize my landscape beds because I cut them back higher because hollow stemmed uh, herbaceous perennials, particularly, you know, there's all these studies now where they're like uh, home for all these insects Mm -hmm. and native bees. And there's also secondary benefits. We think of, uh, you know, they naturally, if you leave stubs, instead of cutting them all the way to the ground, they naturally catch leaves and they Mm self-mulch if you're in a kind of a leafy Mm -hmm. area. So not only are they good for insects, they'll self-mulch because of the structure of that. If you leave some sticking above the ground instead of, you know, cutting them You flush. also know there's a plant yeah. there in the spring. So that's yes, why I do that's it. also a great marker. But you know, it, I'm like, is I've this dead or is it just that. not come back yet? I used to want everything cut to the to the ground. I've really changed that over the last four or five years is it, I leave with stubs now. I leave, I leave a little stubs as markers, oh. as a habitat, whatever. So, yeah, I don't winterize the same as I did a few years ago in that respect, in this particular instance. So, yeah, I was doing it before I even knew why I was doing it, Yeah, besides knowing that there was a plant there. So. <laughs> well, any last minute thoughts of like, hey, don't forget to think about this as we move into I winter. wanted to bring up, I found no. an article that was uh, written by our own. Ray Tackett, winterizing your home. Anybody else find this? Winterizing your home to prevent fall invaders. I have a copy of it on me at all times. <laughs> it's framed yeah. in my office. I like to get it signed. Yeah, like to, people, some people have a Ray pocket original. constitution. Oh, you, I have a you pocket don't, that publication. You don't have a signed copy? <laughs> it's called the Compendium of Growing Beautiful Lawns. We'll link it <laughs> in, in the show notes by our very own. <laughs> but it, uh, it points out that, you know, uh, when the days are getting shorter and cooler, uh, there might be some little friends trying to get inside your house. So part of winterizing is making sure that these little insects, bugs, spiders, and whatnot, you know, plug those gaps. Asian lady beetles. Like that. And it's good too, because, you know, it, as you lock, th- that will also help you kind of make sure your home is insulated and stuff like that for the winter time and, you know, make energy efficiency better. But mm-hmm. yeah, insects trying to get in is usually one of those sort of, fall winterizing things you start noticing yeah or at least according to this guy ray tackett i don't know, I know he's a sketchy guy <laughs> yeah I, I mean weather seals cannot be underestimated we need those <laughs> you need to check those because i had an issue just last year in my basement patio door and mm. come to find out that the seal that was on the bottom of the door was completely gone i looked under there and saw <laughs> lots of daylight in ladybugs and box delder bugs where i live along the creek they both were in mass quantities and little cavities in there nice. so yeah yeah, that's a yeah good winterizing for your home as well as your landscape. When you were saying that little creatures get in the house, I thought you were trying to get us to do Elf on a Shelf for you again. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, but you have to change him every year, every, every day for a time. Be really weird if Elf on the Shelf awesome. was observing my behavior. Elf on the Shelf, he is a critter. He's I, a critter. Like, I, was I want my, my place sealed up. <laughs> And I think I always think of it as like an energy standpoint. Like I don't want my heat escaping, right? Mm-hmm. And no air exchange. Either. No air exchange <laughs> at all. Fresh air is for dead people. I'll breathe when I'm dead. That's how you get murdered at night. <laughs> I stole that from a podcast. Please don't come after me. I'm not sure if it's TM'd or not. Anyways. 
The this, was, this sounds like a busier time of the year. I have a lot of bugs in it. my office, <laughs> my house apparently, because like, and oh, they yeah. come out once it starts to get warm. A lot of people have been seeing them this week because we had that cold spell and then the warm spell, and so mm-hmm. they came back out from where they have snuck into your house over the oh, fall, yeah. and you didn't know, and then they came out in droves, and everyone's like, "Oh my gosh!" I'm like, "Baby, they've been there for a while." <laughs> right, right. But. Yeah, no, I've been doing a lot of like paint painting lately, and it's like mm-hmm. I want to have the windows open, which it's warmer, so it's mm-hmm. it's fine. But uh, yeah, it's also something to watch for. Like, oh, cool, insect friends are coming into my home. <laughs> I'll see. That's fine. But murderers, on the other hand, uh, Brett, any any lasting thoughts as to what you're doing? How are you? Ne- how else you're nesting for the winter? No, there's a whole there's a whole set of protocols for winter overwintering bonsai because like for me at my my potted plants in that regard none of them come inside they stay outside mm-hmm. in their pots all mm-hmm. winter even long. though if they're if you're cold they're cold even though <laughs> yeah their little the little pads of their of their feet are extra insulated so <laughs> nice. they can't they come you know the the bonsai originally come from high up in the mountains where it gets pretty cold so nice i guess yeah. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Whatever. Sure. Well, any any tree that's any tree, any bonsai tree that's hardy here, generally in the ground, is also mm-hmm. hardy here as a bonsai for what it's mm-hmm. worth. That tracks. So, yeah, just doing that kind of stuff, cleaning out gutters. That's that's the other mm-hmm. aspect of um, yeah, yeah, leaf fun. Nobody has mentioned soil samples. Are you kidding? We're the extension service. We, we, have, <laughs> we have like the last three times. We have pounded <laughs> yeah, soil samples. If, they, if you all aren't doing soil samples by now and you by live now. in the state of Oof. Kentucky, we got props. Trouble. Who you listening to? Okay? I, was recently, I, I was recently talking to a listener who said that she was going to do uh, soil samples as a result of listening to the podcast. So shout oh, out to really? Savannah. Thanks. Shout out to who? Who are we shouting Love it. Savannah. Oh, nice. <laughs> yep. Hey, shout go it hang. Out. Good job. All right. Well, I think that I think that pretty much covers our nesting winterizing. If you have questions on, you know, how to winterize or whether or not you need to winterize something, sh- shoot shoot shout us a uh, <laughs> email. Uh, you can email at, us at hortculturepodcast at l.uky.edu. You can also send us a, a message, a DM on our uh, Instagram Hort Culture Pod and uh, we'd be more than happy to check that out and I'm not going to lie if I don't know the answer I'm probably going to ask somebody but I'm sure one of the one of the bald boys or or Ray since he's been around for you know 200 years can help <laughs> us um, I don't know are you like how since familiar are we with engines <laughs> but uh, I can rebuild but, a carburetor yeah. I can definitely problems. help you with the plant <laughs> most of his experiences with steam <laughs> engines if yes. you're not sure about me <laughs> <laughs> if you need to know how to get your mule through the winter, Ray can help you. But you can gotcha. find us find us there. Uh, we we'd love if you left us a review. Uh, that would be great. Uh, your reviews please the algorithm and help other people find our podcast and hopefully love our podcast and love us and message us and tell us cool things. If you have any ideas, uh, just as need love. In- <laughs> love, love. That's why we're if doing you have this. Any thoughts on programs you'd like to hear coming through the winter? We've come up with a few. Uh, we're excited to tell you about all the cool uh, stuff that's coming around uh, through through your winterizing. A lot of people gain more knowledge over the winter. And so we'll be talking about all the upcoming programs uh, that are available. Uh, if you're in Kentucky or 
maybe even if you're not and you want to travel to some of these cool programs that are both in person and online uh, to just gain some new knowledge, we'll have some info for you all on that, uh, how to sign up for them and all that good stuff. But I believe that's all. Thank you guys for joining us this week and uh, come check us out this time next week. And we hope that as we grow this podcast, you will grow with us and uh, we'll see you later. Thanks for being here.